Heinrichus Cornelius Agrippa, occultist, knight, activist, legend, a true tale of sword and sorcery, next on Monsters, Madness, and Magic. Madness and magic. Welcome to Monsters, Madness, and Magic, Monastery of the Macabre, Sanctuary of the Strange, where we highlight all things horror, take deep dives into occult-oriented histories and conspiracy culture. Basically, we talk about crazy shit. My name's Justin. I'm David. I'm Jason. And we're the tip of the iceberg today. You can uh, check out the website, monstersmadnessandmagic.com. Check out the rest of the jackasses on there and the stuff we talk about. It's crazy stuff like this. You can find us on YouTube as well, Monsters, Madness, and Magic. We're on Twitter at Monsters and Magic. That's a single N. Same on Instagram, Monsters, Madness, and Magic. And before we get started here, I just want to give a quick thank you to Daniel Edenfield of the Night Keep for providing our music here and our underscoring. His band, Sarah Gost, has a show coming up in Atlanta on January 27th with Mortis and Tomb at the Masquerade in Atlanta. So if you're in the area and you're listening to this for some reason, um, check that out. And now to the man himself, Heinrichus Cornelius Agrippa von Nettesheim. Born September 14th, 1486 in Cologne, Germany. Died 1535, but that's up for debate. So let's get started here. We'll just start at the beginning, which I think is appropriate. As a child, Agrippa was a boy genius, essentially. Walked around Cologne refusing to speak anything but Latin. Ah, little bit of a dry heart here. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with. A uh, little kid walking around speaking Latin. I bet he got his ass kicked. <laughs> I, I can see that. <laughs> so in uh, later correspondences, he revealed even even when he was this young, he was already concerned with magic and shit like that. He was picking it up early. Yeah, he admits to... Uh, Theodoricus, the Bishop of Cyrene, that his first book on magic that he ever read was Speculum by Albertus Magnus, also badass, St. Albert the Great. The only uh, the great to be called the great while he was alive. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. I mean, you would think that maybe did Alex was Alexander referred to as the great when he was alive? I mean, I would think so. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Questions for greater minds. Indeed, indeed. So not only was he uh, super into magic at a young age, like his family, his father before him, and the Nettesheims, he uh, hoped to continue in their footsteps, serving the crown. In some of those same correspondences where he references magic, he... Uh, 
It means that he aspired to nothing higher than to assist new German emperor Maximilian I, who succeeded his father, Frederick III, in 1493, when Cornelius was seven years old. He felt the call to serve. Yeah, he, he had high aspirations from a young age. It's uh, it's impressive, yet de- yet depressing. <laughs> I agree. And very soon those aspirations from a young age will give way to the aspirations of puberty. <laughs> Incoming. <laughs> now, before we go further into uh, Agrippa, this is a good point to transition and provide a little historical backdrop as to why Agrippa's eventual pairing with Maximilian is odd, given their difference in ideals here. We just got to first we'll start with Maximilian. Uh, He was all about reform, but the problem is. uh, (laughs) Let's just say in uh, 1496, Maximilian issued a decree which expelled all Jews from Styria, which is a region in southeast Austria. In 1509. He passed the Imperial Confiscation Mandate, which ordered the burning of all Jewish literature outside of the Bible. Yeah. Really and if, indeed. If this all sounds familiar, trust it gets even more uncanny. Trust us. Yeah, there's a, a lot of little synchronicities here. You could call them synchronicities. Or yeah, I think that's the uh, I think that's the uh, fun way, fun way to say it. Indeed, go back even further than Maximilian here, dropping all these mandates in the 14th century in the same area of Cologne. All these mandates. Yeah, yeah, he's just dropping mandates on them. (laughs) Jews were persecuted throughout Europe in uh, 1340. Everyone knows this is uh, about the time the plague pops up. (laughs) So, you know, the plague isn't good. And but fortunately for Cologne, they didn't uh, get hit until late 1349, where 30 to 60 percent of the population succumbed, though. So not not too lucky. Not too lucky. That's not lucky at all. No, no, no. (laughs) Definitely not. But, yeah, you would think, you know, well, maybe not. But, yeah, they blame that on the Jews as well. Why wouldn't they? That's just what that was. That's what they do. They just take the blame. So these uh these thoughts were already echoing across the land, and that molded a foundation for uh, <clears throat> what would happen in Cologne when the Black Death did arrive. In late 1349, the Jewish quarter of Cologne was attacked. Uh, properties were blundered and burned. Anyone who attempted to flee was rowed down. Yeah, a few who escaped sought refuge throughout the Rhine, and they converted all the spoils to money and then divided it. Now, I guess, I mean, if you're not if you're not Jewish, I guess this, you love this part, the money and divided amongst the Christians of the town and the local archbishop. That's uh. So I was gonna ask, yeah, did were they rode down, like to contain the disease or because they were to. No, this was this, at fault. Yeah, because they were at fault. This was just another reason for them to be attacked. You know, they're poisoning ah. the Jews, poison the wells. Let's attack them and take Dang. their stuff. Dang. Yeah. So any who didn't flee were were killed, and there were a few who stayed. Twenty years later, the people, the Jewish people, were allowed to return to Cologne. Only if they agreed to pay a protection pa- uh, tax, but which basically means uh, pay us <laughs> so we don't kill you. That's mafia. Yeah. Hey, yo, so uh, you Semites, you might need some help protecting yourselves from uh, us. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what it was. You might want to give us some money, maybe. Pay or die. Pay or die. So while some, uh, some were allowed to return, but... In- then you'll go to 1424. Jewish peoples were eventually banned from Cologne, according to the uh, another mandate here, for all eternity. 
<laughs> That's a long time. That's a very long time. That is definitive. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, around the time that a lot of the Jewish people of Cologne migrated to Poland. But oddly enough, Cologne at this time was known as a center for Jewish learning and knowledge. Many, yeah, a lot of prominent rabbis and scholars went to the town. So much so they even established a university in 1388. If this is the center of Jewish learning and knowledge, I'd hate to see where it was like everywhere else. Oh yeah, that's pretty rough. It's uh, it's not a nice place to be. Anyway. <laughs> We're not going to go there yet. That's another episode. Down the line. Now we're going to get back to Cornelius Agrippa and how all of this little historical backdrop here ties into his future with Maximilian and how it leads to his eventual downfall. This is uh, Sorcery in Spain. The Folly at... Puerto Negro. (laughs) Puerto Negro. Agrippa enrolls at the University of Cologne in July 22nd, 1499. And he uh, received a formal degree from there in less than three years. This is when it gets... Now, now this is where details get a bit hazy. So, this is up for speculation, so we're going to talk about it. This is the first uh, interesting detail that we're going to dive into today. So at the age of twenty, he's appearing 20. at the. He's twenty years old. Twenty. Young man. <laughs> Very young man. At the age of twenty, he's at the University of Paris. Now he clarifies in some of his letters that he was a secretary to Maximilian, the first Holy Roman Emperor, before he was a soldier. So we're not sure whether he was in Paris as a student or a spy. The good chance could be both. Which I like to believe. Mm. <laughs> it's a much cooler story. The sneaky man. It's it's in Paris where uh this is where Agrippa starts to uh form a little Harry Potter esque click around him. <laughs> he's got uh he's got some stories to tell. He's got, he's got uh, some got some knowledge to drop. He's got some plans. Definitely right. got some plans to carry out some things. He's learning learning how to play the game at this point. Oh, he is very good at playing the game. He is the uh <laughs> he's the game master. He he has the game shark. He has the game shark. The Dex drive, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. He, <laughs> he has the uh 1500s equivalent of game facts. <laughs> Red pocket. So yeah, this gets uh, this is like we said, this is where Agrippa starts to form his Harry Potter buddies. Now, these are a group of young intellectuals around Paris, inter- interested in the occult. Now, these uh, sorcerous friends and colleagues spawn the first epic yarn we're going to tackle concerning the legend of Cornelius Agrippa. This starts with uh, one of Agrippa's students in Paris. Juanetín de Herona of Spain. Guerrona of Spain. <laughs> now, he had, he's been ran out of his district in Spain. Of The district is named Tarragon. There was an, a local peasant uprising, and he had to get out of town. He ran into Agrippa. He's like, this man knows magic. Let's, uh, what's up? This is where the idea, this is where they hatched the idea that once uh, Garona would return to Spain, he would somehow he would ally himself with Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I, and in turn, Ferdinand, the King of Spain, would be considered a traitor, and this would certainly increase Maximilian and more importantly Cornelius's influence. <laughs> he's already playing the game. Oh yeah, he's playing. He's playing he's chess. Playing, he's playing big time. Big time. Big he's still he's still twenty, right? He's still tw- twenty. Yeah, he's twenty. Young 20 man, twenty years old. Now the mystery shrouded tale that follows was born of this plot, and it's recounted in Life of Agrippa by Henry Morley. Now this is this is my favorite story about Cornelius Agrippa. Summer, fifteen oh eight. 
Puerto Negro. Puerto Negro. The black fort loomed over the town of Tarragon. The fortress was occupied by local forces withstanding a local uprising. Now Cornelius knew attacking the fort head-on was foolish and possible. But uh, Agrippa and his band of merry men made their way to the entrance. <laughs> Before we continue, we got to let you know that uh, Agrippa says in his letters that he did not like these guys. Zero faith. <laughs> Zero faith in any of these dudes. These scrubs would give yeah. him up. Wait. So these are all noobs to him. Yeah, these are definitely noobs. These are he doubted their loyalty to Maximilian and he just doubted their he just doubted their their cojones. <laughs> <laughs> he doubted their cojones to take Fuerto Negro. Exactly. That's that's what we're he he's trying to take <laughs> this forward, but he knows he has nothing behind him. He's just like winging <laughs> just it. Just him. Winging it. I got these guys, we gotta make it happen. <laughs> okay, so despite his doubts, Agrippa and his men managed to seize control of the fort, and this is where all the mystery comes in with Agrippa. We don't know if it was kidnapping, bribery, but what's implied is <laughs> stage illusion. Some <laughs> magic. Now we're dealing with this is 500 years ago, and there's not inf- there's not that much information out here about this event. And if stage illusion is implied, then that gives us free reign to speculate. I like That's to mystery. I like to speculate that it was just like Chris Angel Mind Freak, except a <laughs> lot more dudes wearing dresses. Jason, that's exactly what I was picturing. Not yeah. even, no bullshit. I'm, I'm just like Agrippa is totally Chris Angel in these dudes. He's the mind freak. If the you, real mind freak in the desert. If you're still listening to this, <laughs> if, you're, if you're still listening to this, the reason you should continue is I'm going to give you two personalities to meld together to get in your mind, Cornelius Agrippa. Now, I don't want to say Chris Angel, but I am. But the cool parts of Chris Angel, you know, when you're a kid and you watch Chris Angel, and you're like, oh, man, how's this dude? How's this dude walking on water? You know, it's that kind of thing. That's how he has everybody feeling. Look at his badass wallet chain. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. <sighs> this is how all the, this circle of friends around Agrippa are just like, oh, my God. he We just took this fort. We all know we're pussies, but this guy's not a pussy. This guy is a gangster. All right, so the first character you got to think is, all right, cool Chris Angel. Or how you viewed Chris Angel when you were an idiot. <laughs> Yeah. And uh <laughs> and El Chapo. Because this guy gets himself into some situations, but somehow he's, he's gonna get out. That. If that doesn't wet your whistle, I don't know what will. That's probably the best summary of this dude ever. Chris <laughs> Angel meets El Chapo. <laughs> <laughs> so they managed to seize control of the fortress by means unknown. We're gonna say Chris Angel mirror magic. I just picture lots of maybe like eight dudes behind Agrippa and somehow he has this like mirror trick where he looks like he has an entire fucking army behind him and he just gets in. He's like, easy. Look, there's a desert over here. (laughs) There's not a bunch of guys. There's a (laughs) desert. I think it kind of took them. It took it definitely. It seems like it took them off guard at how easily they took the fortress because they 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 didn't know what to do with it after that. <laughs> Were when they never, stoned when they did this? There's a good chance because dealing if you're doing a, if they're practicing an into magic, which uh, they need that focus, yo. He may be on you know some hallucinogens. You never know. He could be grinding up some stuff. <laughs> Yep. Could have his little portable tent. Opium. With his hot stones. <laughs> so, yeah, they were able to take the fort, but the problem was there's such a small smorph, there's no, no chance in hell they can keep the fort. It's clear that once conquered, they had no idea how to properly claim their bounty. So Agrippa att- uh, left with a small detachment to the actual house of Garona. 
like yes, his house, the guy, the guy in Paris, one of the conspirators that all all those years ago they were playing tarot, sitting around talking about this conspiracy, how they're going to get Maximilian some influence back in Spain. They they decide to flee to his house. It's nothing special about this house, just his house. Just some dude in the desert. Yoda, if you will. <laughs> although Yoda, this guy, if you will. Although this guy is... This is uh, not Baby Yoda, rather. This is not Baby Yoda. This guy couldn't even be compared to Yoda in general because Yoda is actually helpful. <laughs> this guy... Uh... I don't think so much. Okay, so Garona himself had fled for Barcelona in hopes of returning with some kind of assistance for the for those guys, but yeah, he got captured. <laughs> so Grippa's sitting at this guy's house waiting for a few days, seeing like uh should we uh wish still at this guy's house. Is he coming back? <laughs> ah well <laughs> keep in keep in mind these are the same guys he has zero faith in back at <laughs> Puerto Negro. He's just had this guy who just left and got caught. He just he knows. Yeah, he knows he's done. He knows they ratted him out. He's just at this guy's house, still waiting. <laughs> yeah, just sitting there. Where's he at, bro? Where's he at? <laughs> That's exactly what I imagine him is sounding like too. Just locked up in this dude's house, just totally. Like, boxing this yeah, shit. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got the hot stones heated. Got the green herbs burning. Now, fortunately for old Cornelius, three miles away, there was a stone tower surrounded on either side by water, basically a moat. There, Agrippa and his men would wait out the storm. This is very convenient, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> My thing is, why wouldn't you just go there first? Right? Yeah, well, that is a good question. But who am I to question? Agreed. We are not magicians. Yeah, I'm not a 20-year-old magician in, in the 1500s. Hey, let's just uh, take a step back for a second and uh, realize what else is happening in the world around this time. This guy was just getting started when Christopher... Columbus. Yeah. Doing his 1492, Colo- Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You know the rest. No, we don't know the rest. Uh. Yeah, we, in 1493, <laughs> he stole all he could see. Yeah. Let him be known. Yeah, we all know Chris Columbus is a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> no fan of Illuminati. Columbus Day? Come on. Come on. Need a Grippa Day. Make Columbus Day, Cornelius Agrippa Day. This guy did more for us and uh, for human rights than most others. Yeah, this was a time when uh, saying the stuff that Cornelius would, uh, we're going to get into it, but the things that he was saying and the people that he was defending, uh, it's not good. Not good for him. Yeah, but he still uh, did it. He still did it, yeah. regardless of the repercussions. He had massive testicles. Cojones. Which he, which these guys did not have. 20 years old, took a tower <laughs> with some dudes he didn't trust. He's prepared <laughs> to die, and he made it out. With this as his backbone, he set forth. Right. Now, Cornelius arrives at the stone tower with zero time to spare before he was surrounded and under siege by the peasant army. The villagers referred to Agrippa as the German. The German. And they placed the blame of the massacre at Fuerto Negro on his black arts. <laughs> they just got fooled. They were just mad that they just got Chris Angel. They got some wool put over their eyes. They're like, oh, my, I can't believe we gave up the fort to these nerds. <laughs> these young guys just rolled up. Now, they were severely outnumbered, but the tower was the perfect place to weather a siege. Days turned to weeks, and uh, Cornelius needed to get a message out because it's getting a little hairy, you know. Limited supply of food, but he also knew it was damn near impossible to get himself or any of his men out past the uh, the army out there. <laughs> so after a moment of meditation, 
Agrippa has an idea. He he knew just what he had to do. The German. Now this is an idea. This is this is not even outside the box thinking. You don't even have a box. You don't even have a box. Boxes do not exist. He's out there in the ether. <laughs> he is there. The German. The German beckoned the keeper of the tower fetch his young son and promised no harm would come to him. He then disguised the boy as a leper and the child easily passed through the peasant forces under the cover of night. Yeah. He just, uh... <laughs> he I mean, it's actually genius. It's actually genius. This really is. It's like a, it's like a comedy skit. Hey, so uh, I'm going to dress you up like you've got medieval AIDS. Yeah, and you're so just going to... It's so fucking stupid it has to work. <laughs> it had to. Exactly. So crazy. Because, you know, I mean, no offense to you people with leprosy out there, but, you know, I'm moving out the way. Are lepers even a thing anymore? Pretty sure. That's a nice search for the duck, duck, go. Yeah. Let's you don't want Google out. keeping that info. So the boy was carrying a message to the Archbishop of Tarragon on the behalf of Agrippa. And just a few days later, at 9 p.m., now this is in 1509, so this is still early 20s. This is, yeah, this is still, he's still 20, 21 years old. And two fishing boats appear and carried Agrippa and his men to safety. Now, you can imagine the peasants are already thinking, man, this guy pulled some Chris Angel black magic on us. We got him surrounded in this tower, though. And then you get in the tower and this guy's gone again. It's just added to the myth. However, this is uh, kind of where you can see Agrippa's view on the courts and servitude. This is where they began to decay. Because after this, and he realized he was surrounded by a bunch of jackasses, He'd set off into the world, see what it had to offer. From Barcelona, Naples, and then to France, he studied and made acquaintances that he would correspond with for the rest of his life. Now, there is some... At this point in his life, he still holds magic in high regard, which is debatable later in his life, but there's a lot of uh, factors we can talk about. So long ago. Long time ago. And there's a lot, a lot of opinions out there about this. It's just, uh, I like to believe that maybe his opinion of magic started to shift as the church started to outlaw some of the things that he loved. And he didn't want to, he had no problem speaking out against the church, sure. But, you know, there's a th- fine line between a slap on the wrist and burning at the stake, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't want that kind of heat. <laughs> that's cheap heat. That's the ch- I was about to say. That's cheap heat. Yeah, you don't want the cheap heat. Okay, so no, now this this is all before the age of twenty-two. So he's taking this fort. He's already compiling the notes on his uh, magnum opus, and he's twenty-two years old. Very accomplished. So after that, at the age of 22, Agrippa traveled to Lyon, France, where this is where he began to study. Now, this is where things get dicey for him. Prepare for it. Yeah, this is, yeah. yeah, this is the rub. This is where he began to study uh, Hebrew and the Kabbalah, the ancient form of Jewish mysticism. In the 1500s in Germany. Yeah. Now, this is... You got to keep in mind, Maximilian's been over here dropping mandates. Yeah, <laughs> dropping mandates. You got to reference back to that. You know, we got fifteen oh nine. Fifteen oh nine, the same year. This is a uh, the same year. Fifteen. This is when the mandate passed for the imperial confiscation. This is when all the uh, Jewish literature was burned except the Bible. Now, this is when. This is not the time to be looking into Jewish mysticism. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Cornelius began to look into it. Not a good idea, bro. Yeah. One thing you can say about this guy is Cornelius does not give a fuck. He is the honey badger. He has f- his yeah. testes. 
So like I said, by the following year, he's already got the notes for the occult philosophy. By the age of 23, he's already almost, he's working on his opus, you know. In 1509, he gives a series of free lectures for the public at the University of Dole. And this is in Burgundy, this is in France. Mostly, he did this to impress Princess Margaret, daughter to Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I. Now, Margaret is the second child of Maximilian. She was uh, appointed governess of the Netherlands by Maximilian at, the, at just 29 years old. And she was known for her interest in pursuits and education and her generosity towards the arts. This is what got uh, Cornelius's attention. And if you uh, needed any further indication as to Cornelius knows what he's doing and when to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's common. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in 1509, now let's keep in mind here, her title was confirmed in 1509. So in late 1509, Cornelius would pen female preeminence. An ingenious discourse. One of the earliest works advocating for women's rights. So on his list of uh, need to acquire things, not only was it Puerto Negro, it was also but. And yeah. He, and and he wanted, like I said, Margaret. She was uh, very generous towards the arts, and Agrippa is a badass, but he can be artsy fartsy. He loves some art, you know. He wants some of that. Uh, he wants some, some of, of that gold. He wants some of that funding. Some of that fine wine. Some of that gold dime. He'll take what he can get. Now, unbeknownst to Cornelius, this would uh, this would be some of the most fulfilling and productive years of his life. In 1510, was uh, barely a few months later, the first draft of the three books of occult philosophy was finished. Jesus. Now, while he was having some success at this time, uh, this is where his love began to sour. This asshole, John Now he's a monk of Burgundy, came before Margaret in 1510 to... Uh, he, he had some choice words about Cornelius's recent draft of the three books of occult philosophy. He didn't like them. <laughs> and just because he didn't like them... <laughs> Just because he didn't like him. Yeah, this poisoned Margaret's view of Cornelius significantly. Uh, That's a strong freaking word. Yeah, she, like we're saying here, um, a lot of this is influenced by Jewish mysticism. And this, like we said, this comes back to bite him. And this is the first bite. This is once he puts his stamp of approval on a Jewish belief and it's brought before the court. Her father just is just dropping these mandates. So dropping the mandates. She, she has to. It is what it is. What it is. It is what it is. This is uh, like I said, this is where his association with the Kabbalah negatively affects the uh, public opinion of him. <clears throat> these were dangerous times for Jewish people, and anyone willing to stand by them or empower their beliefs. Or that's that's not a good thing to do at this time. You know, these were dangerous times for Jewish people, but really, really, no time's a safe time for Jewish people. No, no, yeah, <laughs> no time. Oh, if you want to make matters worse, uh, Cornelius's uh, feminist work attributed to Margaret never saw her eyes because, due to this monk. And John Catlin A. delaying the publication of Agrippa's work, Margaret died in 1530, <laughs> and it wasn't, and the work was not published until 1532. No, ouch, man. So this is when Agrippa returns to Maximilian. Finally, this is this may be where his, uh, at least his public opinion of. Of magic starts to deteriorate, maybe, and he leads uh, towards theology. Hey, Mister Mandates. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful around Maximilian, though. That's the one thing I'm thinking about. I'm like, how much of this is influenced by you know, Mandate Maximilian over here? 
<laughs> Maximilian the Mandate Dropper. Mandator. Whole different connotation. Oh yeah, that's not good either in these days. It, definitely not. So in the spring of 1511, uh, Agrippa enters the military of Maximilian. This is now he's transitioning from secretary to soldier. And he served in the wars in Italy, but there's not that much written about this time, you know, because motherfuckers are killing each other. <laughs> but he does write this of his service. Before my face went death and I followed the minstrel of death with my right hand soaked in blood and my left dividing spoils. My belly was filled with prey and the way of my feet was over corpses of the slain. God damn. That's black metal as fuck. Yeah, I could just, I could just, def, yeah, that's definitely black metal. But I can also see Cornelius, you know, Dio walking through the battlefield with a sword and Holy Dyer style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me too. <clears throat> I got that. Holy Diva. In 15. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's getting started. She can't invoke it. You can't, you can't do it. We need you can't sing Holy Diver. My belly was filled with prey, and the way of my feet was over corpses of the slain. That was fucking terrible. Whoa. I should hurt myself. Before my face went down. <laughs> Edit. So, 1511. <laughs> <laughs> Agrippa receives his knighthood. In the spring of 1511, he enters the military, so by the end of the year, he's a knight. Put in work. He's like, man, this is easy. I took a, I took this fort. You gotta wait to hear this story. Man, I, took this, I took this fort over here with a bunch of idiots. Young man. On the 1st of July, 1512, Cornelius was taken prisoner near Pavia, Italy by the Swiss, along with 300 German soldiers. Details are scarce, as is usual, but Agrippa managed to find his way out yet again. <laughs> Channel El Chapo. El Chapo. Agrippa El Chapo. <laughs> oh, and a hilarious twist in the summer of 1515. Now, this is just a few years after he was prisoner. He gave a series of lectures lectures on legendary alchemical figure Hermes Trismegistus, the thrice great Hermes at Pavia University. Now Morley says that he was showered with applause and uh but I I say that uh, these lectures in Pavia prove that Agrippa wasn't done with magic as he claimed. So like most pow pe like most people in power, Agrippa had a public position and a private position. Right, yeah. I think that that's what that points to, because, yeah, his opinion of quote-unquote magic began to deteriorate, but this also coincides with him being pressured for support, uh, well, researching the Kabbalah. So there's another unfortunate twist coming Cornelius' way, as uh, seems to be the case throughout his life. Uh, One more time. Another one. Another one. Another. In September of 1550, Swiss and Italian forces, including Agrippa, were defeated by the French. Oof. Ouch. Yeah. That's, okay. <laughs> hey, that's one of their single digits. <laughs> oh, man. that's Agrippa was no longer allowed to teach at the university, and his military pay was revoked. Uh, yeah, they... If you lose, you don't get paid, right? That's how I, it works. Especially if you lose to the fucking French. Yeah, you, yeah, you deserve it. You got to give up your check, pal. You fucking deserve it. You didn't fucking do nothing, man. <laughs> you, you didn't do nothing. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> You're fucking fired. After all of, uh, <laughs> after this defeat in 1518, this brings us to the next, uh, event we're going to dive into when Agrippa arrives in the city of Metz in France. Now, as soon as he arrives, his dad, he gets words that his dad is sick, and he, he spends uh, time trying to plan that journey to get out to see his dad, but he he dies even before Cornelius can set off. 
So that's that's how this journey, this is how his arrival in Mets starts. So that sets the tone for the rest of the shit that's about to happen. So Agrippa began publicly attacking in both lectures and in letters priests and monks around Mets. That's not yeah, this is this is bad. Bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it pays off. <laughs> <laughs> it's revealed through his correspondences with colleagues that people around him were trying to warn him. They they saw this coming. They knew he was getting a bit too bold. And but you know he's never been one to shy away. And this is this is where a defining event occurs in the life of Agrippa. And you have to applaud him for doing this, but it is also this event that uh pretty much leads to his downfall. Yeah. So northwest of Metz is a village of Voipi. 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 Hey, I'm not French. Uh, get off my back. <laughs> Everybody out there, if you're still listening. Thank you. It's Voipi. That's what it is today. A peasant woman's mother has been burned as a witch. As a, that seems that happens a lot during this time. And the daughter herself has now been accused of witchcraft. So they had their doors kicked in by some peasants, and they're thrown in prison. Well, not they. The uh, the mom's burned. She's dead. And the kid is ushered off to Metz to stand trial. And that's when the, the biggest asshole of this story enters, the Inquisitor of Metz, Nicholas Savine. Now, just to tell you what kind of... Just the kind of moral morals we're dealing here with here in the courts. He accepted cakes and eggs from the townspeople as they tried to win his favor. Yo, yo, you, uh, you guys have any more that that uh, cake and eggs? <laughs> so he's just allowing this to happen. He's definitely he's assured these people that there's 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 going to be a conviction. You know, just just keep those cakes coming. Keep them coming. Word of this uh, gets back to Agrippa. The shady proceedings, and there's no due process. And, you know, he's he's always he has two cents to be offered on every occasion, so he's got something to say. The case was heard by an equally unjust judge by the name of John Leonard, and he allowed the Inquisition to continue, and under the grim guidance of Heinrich Kramer's. Malleus Maleficarum, Savine would supervise the torture of the poor woman. The magistrates appointed, uh, yeah, they had to get out of the room. They, they had to be in there to uh, witness any confessions or to relay the information that's going on. And it, what apparently what was going on was so horrible that they couldn't stay in there. So just to put this into context, uh. There are anti-Jewish pogroms all over Germany. The Black Death is happening, but these people can't stay in one room where this woman's being tortured. That's uh, it's pretty rough. That's how bad it is. Yeah. So it's not looking good for this woman. You know, all signs are pointing to damnation. But one day, old Judge Leonard starts to get sick and claims he was haunted at night by the young woman... And her spirit or her consciousness was begging to be released. Okay. Interesting, but unfortunate because Judge Leonard would succumb to his sickness. Leonard. Then Inquisitor Savine would use the judge's sudden death as evidence to further damn the accused. So, sounds like this guy killed the judge that was about to shut him down and then used the judge's death to get the conviction he wanted so he could get some more cake. Crooked AF. He needed that damn cake. This I mean, guy, it must have been good. This guy out. had to have been fat as fuck. I mean, he's gotta <laughs> be. I just picture him like just down in Little Debbie, just like, she's a witch. She's a witch. He he has the Swiss rolls with the plates. Yeah. Oh, if you have Swiss rolls with the plates, those are the good kind. You get the little plates with the Swiss rolls just in case you spill some. And you can scrape the chocolate off with your teeth if you're feeling extra froggy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not hating on the plate on the plateless Swiss rolls, but I prefer the plate. Yeah, the plateless Swiss rolls have gotten me through some tough times. <laughs> so. 
Luckily for this woman, Agrippa was determined not to allow her to die. And when he learned of the new judge that was appointed to the case in place of Leonard, Cornelius wrote to him immediately detailing the, the nefarious nature of the inquis- of Inquisitor Savine and the lack and his lack of respect for the process of the law. Savine was removed. The Inquisitor was removed for the case and the accused received absolution. The jailers were fined, which, wow. Good for the time. Like all, all uh, parties. And, well, I mean, I mean, her mom was burned alive, so she deserves all compensation she can get. Right. I mean, if nothing else, I guess this shows that at least the the law structures weren't totally corrupt from top to bottom. Yeah. Because some people heard about this and had to have been like, wait, what the fuck's happening? <laughs> like, Yeah, I don't imagine this was in, like, uh, in my head, I'm just picturing some backwoods village, you know, where somebody just fucked a goat and <laughs> he gets some kind of wart and then he blames his neighbor who just happens to be this woman and they burn her alive. That's some horse. That's how I think this whole thing went down. <laughs> But the Inquisitor was removed, the jailers were fined, and Agrippa was a successful lawyer in his first attempt. But this this is what uh, bit him in the ass. Now, while the woman did keep her life and she was able to go back to her hometown, uh, Agrippa had to live in Metz and... It got so bad, citizens were avoiding him in the streets out of fear because you don't want to be uh, walking around with this guy who just openly defies the church because then you become a target because you are defying the church most likely. The last years of Agrippa's life were spent in the courts of lords who knew not the man they had at their side. In in January of 1520, Agrippa, that's when he returned to Cologne with Maximilian. After that, he began to travel a lot, and he was mocked, feared, never paid for his services. He served uh, under the queen mother, and she openly mocked him in her court. She would uh, take his letters that he would write to her, begging for the money that she promised him for his position. You know, he's doing all this work, and he's like, I have to feed my family. She's reading these letters aloud in court, laughing with her subjects every time she gets a new one in. (laughs) This dirty. That's one. That's one. Ice cold bitch. That's ice cold (laughs) bitch. Ice cold. That's what we're dealing with here. It's also in the waning years that you get all these superstitions popping up around Agrippa. Um, He was poor, so people are wondering how he uh, pays. How does he pay for his bedding? He does a lot of traveling for a poor guy. I mean, the truth is that he had a lot of friends that he corresponded with. He was a uh, he was an important man for a long time, so he really just had a lot of friends that would help him out from place to place. But it started the started the rumor that he would use a glamour magic to uh, disguise bits of ram horn to look like gold coins, and when he would leave, that it would be revealed that you didn't have any gold. He just uh, pulled some wool over your eye. He got one up on you. Which, again, maybe he was pulling some Chris Angel shit. I've seen Chris Angel do some crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, man, does some ridiculous shit. Right. Uh, it blows my mind. I'm like, uh, more on you. I don't know how you did that. Anyway. Yeah. Another one of these superstitions that he traveled around with a black dog. And they said it was a demonic familiar. And when Cornelius died, that the dog drowned itself in a river. But uh, there's all there's a lot of correspondences of him, letters you can look up of him with a lot of his colleagues and people that he met over the years. He would a lot, talk about his dog a lot. He loved dogs. Dogs would follow him from town to town. He just had like a fellowship of dogs around him all the time. That's awesome. That says <laughs> a lot about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he sees how shitty people are. Right, and the dogs see that he's good, and they don't even mess with him. They're like, I'm coming with you, man. That's a good guy. This is back when dogs would fuck you up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
That's some big ass dogs. Some desert war dogs. You can't say enough about this guy who's he's still writing. He's still trying to publish his own work. The church is trying to suppress his work because of the nature of the work. And all the time while he's not getting paid, he's got all this superstition floating around about him. He's still trying to write and trying to put out his shit on his own. Still doing this in the background. That's the craziest part to me. Yeah, he's dedicated. He never stopped believing. True. Don't stop. I'm not doing it. You can't get that. We already had a deal moment. We can't go into journey. No. <laughs> I'm going to resist. I want to. Got to. Yeah, I've already can... embarrassed myself enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in 1533, the three books of occult philosophy and his magnum opus were finally printed in its entirety. It took him a while, but he finally got it after everyone was trying to uh, halt his progress. But on February 18th, 1535, after being released from prison for speaking out against the monarchy, I believe he said it was, I guess you would say it's the equivalent of a mom joke about the queen. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't like her. So he went to jail for speaking out against the queen, which... That's the most Agrippa thing to do. And shortly after being released, he passed away. We don't, there's really not any details about his death. So I'm thinking that's a little suspicious. Yeah. They probably poisoned this man somehow. Yeah. That's not definitely not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. So to uh, conclude our first episode here, these are my final thoughts. Uh, Agrippa spoke out in a time when doing so would cost you your life, and he did it time and time again. The one thing I take from him is uh, if you're going to stand up for what you believe in, uh, make sure you uh, think about the cost and make sure you're willing to pay it. <laughs> pay attention. Final thoughts on Agrippa, gentlemen, before we wrap it up here for the first episode. I mean, to me, this guy's basically what every blue-haired sociology major wants to be but fails miserably at. (laughs) He did big things all throughout his life. Yeah, this is real activism in a time when it actually mattered. Big time. You can take notes from this guy right now. Actions speak louder than words. Yeah. All big, big deal is uh, if you're gonna, all you're gonna do is talk. You gotta do the legwork <laughs> so you can back up that talk. You don't Otherwise, even have I ain't do, listening. You don't even have to do that much legwork. Just get eight losers in a mirror, and you can <laughs> take take some shit. You can take a tower. <laughs> take the stone tower. Take the stone tower. Well, that has been the life and legend of Cornelius Agrippa, and I'm Justin. I'm David. I'm Jason. Signing off for Monsters Madness and Magic. Hey.